It's my privilege for this second week of Advent to have Don and Katie Dreyer here lighting our candles as we uh, begin our celebration of Advent. Um, last week we focused on hope and this week we'll be focusing on peace. Our scripture reading today is Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. So let us pray. Almighty God, you offer rest for our hearts and peace for our souls. Give us grace to seek peace in our lives, peace in this community, peace in the world. Through Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, amen. Come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, come ye, come ye to Good morning. Ah, so good to be with you this morning. I'm Stephanie. If we have not met, I'm the director of adult discipleship here at Christ Center. And this morning we are in a series, an Advent series. So each week we are preparing our hearts. We're thinking intentionally about the this of Christmas, the heart of Christmas, the real reason and meaning of Christmas. And we're preparing each week so that when Christmas actually gets here, we can truly, truly celebrate um, the real meaning and the heart of Christmas. And I'm excited. I'm excited to get started this morning. I want to start with a question. And I think I know the answer. I think all of you are going to raise your hands with a big old yes. But here's the question. Raise your hand or answer yes if you have ever moved somewhere. You've moved from one place to another. Show of hands. Okay, probably all of you, maybe most of you, maybe there's one or two that have not. But for those of us that have, um, we've discovered something. We have discovered that no matter, no matter how many lists you make, no matter how many details you try to organize just exactly so, so that it can be a smooth process, no matter how hard you try, chaos is inevitable. At some point, chaos is going to rear its ugly head, and you are going to find yourself in the middle of it. Our family, we are movers. I mean, between all of our extended family, we just, we do this thing, we move. And uh, there is a story, the people shall remain nameless, but there are two people from my family that were moving, and uh, they had about the amount of stuff for a U-Haul. And so they decided we're going to rent a U-Haul. So they went, rented the U-Haul, put their stuff in it, um, and the plan was the one would drive the U-Haul, and then the other one would follow behind in the car. 
And so all's going well. They get this stuff in. They get on the road. They're driving. And all of a sudden, they pull onto the freeway. This is important to the story. They pull onto the freeway. They're driving. And all of a sudden, the person in the car behind the U-Haul sees the door begin to creep up. And their stuff began to fall out onto the freeway. And the person driving the car is now swerving her own stuff. And, and cars are swerving, and it is chaos. Somehow, the two of them manage to get off of the freeway onto the side. But you know how that is when there's a car ahead and you're behind. So the U-Haul's way up here. The other person's back here. I just want you to imagine for a minute, if you can, either being the U-Haul driver or the other driver, and you're walking toward the other person, and you are about to have a conversation. Can you just feel? Let's see, what are some of the emotions? Um, somebody's feeling bad that they forgot to lock the U-Haul door. Uh, somebody's feeling angry. Somebody's feeling fear because there's stuff, and somebody could literally die out there on the freeway right now while they're trying to solve and figure out this problem. With moving comes chaos. With chaos, we often get angsty. And I think that most of us can agree that moving is not a peaceful process. And this is the interesting thing I was thinking about, that we have been moving as a human race from the very beginning of time. And I want to read to you a little bit about this. Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, God's first creation of man and woman. And here we go, Genesis chapter 3. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it, if you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God. You'll know both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. Ladies, can we relate? We like our beautiful things. And its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. This is the first moment. Before this, the garden was good. It was very good. All Adam and Eve knew was good and very good. And now, all of a the sudden, their eyes are opened and they know evil. And the very first evil that they know is shame. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And here we have the very first move. The very first time, and Adam and Eve, the very first people, move away from God. God is coming, he is calling for them, and they move and they hide in the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Adam heard him. He said, um, I, was, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. 
So now fear enters. So now we have shame and we have fear. And I want to just point out here, first of all, that God, I think God knew where Adam and Eve were, right? So why is he asking, where are you? Scripture says that we are made in God's image. And so as his image bearers, one of the things that we have is emotions. We have feelings and emotions. And one of the emotions that we have is we feel connected to each other. And I just can't help but wonder if in that moment when God says, where are you? He is beginning to feel that emotional connectivity that he had with Adam and Eve start to separate, start to divide. Fear enters. This morning I'm going to talk a little bit about intimacy. And when I, when I say the word intimacy, the definition that I'm working from is being close and be emotionally connected and supported. And I just want for a minute for us to think about any relationship that we've had. Um, it could be parents and children. It could be um, best friends. It could be boyfriend and girlfriend. It could be um, boss and employee, a teammate. But think of some relationship that you've had where you've been fairly close to that person. What happens if shame and fear come in? There's a divide, right? It begins to separate us. It begins to pull us away from each other. God goes on, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten the tree from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman. You gave her to me and she made me eat the fruit. Uh, and then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? I don't think this question, again, we don't know. We don't know the tone God was using. But when I hear this question in my head when I'm reading it, I hear heartache from God. I hear sadness. I hear in his voice that understanding that what they have done has opened Pandora's box, that what they have done has opened humanity up to heartbreak, um, to separation, and to all the things that go with it. And I think, I think God is just grieved in his heart. Um, so one of the other things that I really want to point out here before we move on from this Adam and Eve part is the enemy, the serpent. Um, he, he starts out with Eve. Did, did God really say, right? He's just, he's getting her to start to question things. And she's like, well, no, God didn't say that. But did God really say have we ever heard that question? Do we hear that? Did God really say, is that what he really meant? You know, did he really mean that? Um, and then is God really good or is he withholding something from you? Right? Because he says to Eve, he says, God knows that if your eyes are opened, you will be like God. So obviously, Eve, God's withholding something from you, right? He begins to plant deception and lies. Throughout scripture, uh, the enemy of our souls is described differently. He's described as a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And because this is a heavier topic, I thought this would be a fun uh, picture. Can you see that? He says, about to eat this idiot, hashtag blessed. Um, yeah, that's the enemy. Uh, he's described as a, a lion seeking to whom he can devour and as a tempter. We laugh at this, but one of my points, one of the things I really want us to think about this morning is living aware of the enemy. We laugh and it's funny, but it's, it's really not because there really is an enemy 
and he really does want to do this. John 10.10 tells it like this. John 10.10 says, um, he comes to rob, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. What did he steal from Adam and Eve? What did he steal from them? He stole their close walk with God. He stole the goodness of the garden. And he robbed them of the bliss of not knowing evil. Before that, they had never known shame. They had never known fear. He robbed them of that bliss of not knowing. It's important that we pay attention to the enemy. It's important that we are constantly aware that there is an enemy working to destroy our oneness with God through lies and deception. It's important that we understand that his goal is to move us outside of God's presence, to break that connectivity that we have with God. He wants to move us outside of that. And here's the thing. When we stop believing in an enemy, we start making each other the enemy. It's true. Think about this. Think about if you haven't had any God time, you haven't read the word, you haven't been in worship, you've just, for whatever reason, you've been away from God. And you show up at your staff meeting, and somebody says something or does something, and you're just like, ugh, like, ugh, right? They're the enemy. They just robbed your peace. They just took from you. But really, it's not them. It's the snake. It's the roaring lion seeking whom he made a devour, and we need to pay attention to that. As we move on in Genesis from 3 to 4, we go from Adam and Eve to their sons, Cain and Abel. And I'm going to read you a little more about the Cain and Abel story. So Cain and Abel grew up. Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. God is not on a power trip. He is not trying to just control our lives. But what God is saying is he's laid out a plan. And if we live according to his ways, that protects us, that keeps us safe, that keeps us where we were created to be. And Cain is making these choices, and God says to him, if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Watch out. He's warning him. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. The enemy wants to control us. We need to pay attention to that. Not another person. The true source of that is the enemy of our souls. God says, but you must subdue it and be its master. You must rule over that sin. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, hey, let's go out in the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where's your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? Ugh. Anyway. But the Lord said, what have you done? Again, he asked Eve, now he's asking Cain, what have you done? Again, it's that, I think it's from a tone of compassion. Now you will have the consequences. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. 
From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So we see Cain, through his own choosing, move outside of God's presence. And I want us to pay attention to these words, homeless wanderer. This translation, that's how it describes Cain. What does the word homeless, like what, what does that speak to? If you're homeless, you are, you're lacking something. You're lacking a home. But we read here that he settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. He settled outside of God's presence, but he was settled. So what is this homeless thing? I think that his homelessness is in his soul. His homelessness is in his spirit. His soul is now outside of God's presence. And it's not as it should be. Because God made us and God created us to walk closely with him, to walk lockstep with him, to walk in conversation with him, to walk through a good, good life with him. And yet as we sin and we separate from him, We become, our souls become homeless. They don't have a place that they can call home. And we've already established that wandering, that moving around creates chaos. And this is where we find Cain. I want you to imagine for a moment. I'm so excited about this part. I can't, I can see all your faces. I want you to imagine a 12,000 piece puzzle. 12,000 pieces. I didn't even know. I got on Google to find out, like, what's the biggest puzzle that I could buy? 12,000 pieces. Okay, I don't even know, like, how, I just saw one that was 500 taking up, like, a large portion of a table. I just don't even know. Okay, but imagine. And imagine, I was going to put one together for you guys, actually, but I ran out of time. Okay, so we've got this 12,000-piece puzzle. And you've been putting it together for weeks and weeks and weeks. You've just been, you know, and you probably had to be down on your hands and knees because it takes up so much space. But you've been doing it. You've been putting it together. And you're on your last day. And you're so excited. And you've been working on it. And you know how we keep the puzzle pieces in those box lids, right? So you reach in for the last piece. Wait. And you're reaching. And you get up and you look in. Oh, my gosh. Where's, where's the piece? And so you look underneath and it's not there. And then you look under the table, it's not there. Oh, maybe it's stuck to my sleeve. Nope, it's not there. I'm not sitting on it. Where is this puzzle piece? Now imagine, it's the last piece. It's in your home. What happens every time you walk past that puzzle? Does it just make you crazy? It would make me crazy. Like, every time I walk by, I'd be like, oh, where is that piece of that puzzle? Like, where did it go? Where is it? It would just make us crazy. The puzzle, the big picture of the puzzle, is missing a piece. And the piece is missing the big picture. And as we move on from Cain and Abel, we see this in our humanity over and over again. We as human beings sin. We do things that God very clearly in his word tells us that we should not do because it's not good for us, but we do them, and we move away from God. And that's what happened through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then all of a sudden, 
something happens. All of a sudden, these prophets, these guys that spoke for God, begin to pop up. And they begin to tell of this coming Messiah, this Savior, this one that would save them from their sins. And we know that with sin comes chaos and it gets darker and darker. Here's some of the things that happen as sin continues on its um, ugly path. Conflict, chaos, oppression, suffering, division. And yet the prophets are saying there's one coming that is going to save us. Isaiah says it like this in chapter 9, verse 6. He says, for a child will be born to us. We don't have to do anything. A child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called. Wonderful counselor, sign me up. Mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. And this morning, that's what the word that we're looking at. We're looking at this word peace. And in the Old Testament, the word is shalom. And it speaks both of the absence of conflict and, so absence of conflict, and it points to something better in its place. So where there was conflict, we now have something better in its place. The picture of shalom is one of a stone wall with a stone missing or a crack in the mortar. And if you were to bring shalom to that wall, it would mean that you're restoring it back to completeness. You're repairing and restoring it. Prince of Peace, shalom, coming to us. We need shalom now, and they needed it back then in the Old Testament. I want to give you one more story. I just had to do this because um, last week my husband got to tell an airport story. If you were not here, you can go back and watch it. Um, and I heard that after service, some of you went up to him and told him that you would have left me in the airport. For real, I thought you guys had my back. Um, so I thought I'd tell an airport story this morning. So we are in an airport years ago, LAX. If you've ever been there, I mean chaos. It is wild, no matter, it's just crazy. And so we're running through LAX trying to get to our gate, and it's one of those gates where you have to go up an elevator, down an escalator, through a parking lot, you know, over hill and dale to get there. And one of the things you have to do is get on this, one of those shuttle thingies that kind of go through the tunnels and around, you know. Now, I was not paying attention to anything other than keeping up with my husband because he is always 15 steps ahead of me. I didn't know what gate we were going to. I didn't know anything. I just keep up with Steve, keep up with Steve, keep up with Steve, dragging my suitcase. And um, my eyes are on him, and I see him get into the shuttle. And then, all of a sudden, all of these people, I don't know where they came from, but all of a sudden, there's like 50 people between me and the shuttle door. And I'm like, oh no. And so I'm like trying to get through the people with my suitcase, and I'm trying, and I'm almost there, one more person and the doors close, and there goes my better half. And I don't even know where he's going. I have no idea where this man is going to. I don't have my ticket. Cell phones were not smartphones back then, and he had both of the phones. That didn't help me. Panic, sheer panic. I am sitting in LAX, and, and it's not like there's a person at a desk that I can just go ask them to call. 
I mean, I am, I'm, I'm just, you know, and when you're panicking, you're not thinking clearly. So I'm like, okay, okay, is, okay, is he going to come back for me? Should I go, should I get on the next one? Should I go for him? But I don't know where to get off. Uh, okay, so finally I just decided I'm just going to sit here because I trust my husband. And I do believe that eventually <laughs> he will come back for me. Um, and I knew to pray. I did know to pray. And so I parked myself where I could see every possible place that he could return for me. And I sat there and I prayed and I was like, God, he can hear your voice. Please tell him that I'm staying put until he comes back for me. And he did. And I tell you, as soon as he got back there, relief, relief just flooded over me. And a peace came because I was back in proximity with my person. I was back in proximity with him. And it's when we are apart from each other that that fear and that anxiety uh, can creep in. That's a picture of God. That's a picture of Jesus, what Jesus does for us, right? We see, that we see Jesus getting farther and farther away as we are moving away from him. But Christmas is all about the idea that Jesus came back for us. And that fear leaves. Isaiah, farther in Isaiah, he says, You will keep in perfect peace. I want us to hear that word perfect. You will keep, God, so Isaiah is saying, God, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. I trusted that Steve would come back for me. All those thoughts are fixed on you, God. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. He is that strong source that we can rely on. As I was thinking about how do I put into words for you perfect peace this morning, I couldn't come up with words. And I thought of a picture. And so Steve actually helped me, and we came up with this picture. And this is a picture of the enemy. In this picture, he's um, portrayed as a wolf. And the lamb, just standing there, not bothered in the least. The wolf is breathing down his neck, and the lamb's just standing there. Because the lamb knows that he is in the presence of Jesus. Today, as the Advent candle was lit, Colossians 3.15 was read, and I want to read it to us again, understanding that that word shalom is a bringing of restoration and a bringing of wholeness. And let the shalom, let the restoration and wholeness that comes from Jesus, that is what Jesus brought to us, let that rule in your hearts. Cain was told to rule over his sin, and he didn't do it. Left to our own selves and our own devices, we are not able to rule over our sin. But now here, Jesus has come, and now we are encouraged to let, let the peace of Jesus rule. He can rule in us, and, and we can trust him with that rulership because it is for our good so let the shalom that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, that's all of us, for members of one body, we are called to live in peace. 
We are called to live in unity. We are called to live together. Um, and that is such a beautiful picture of that wall of just completeness. That word let means not prevent or forbid, but allow. And I just, every time I was preparing this, I got stuck on this a little bit. Because I think for some of us, we're afraid. Um, we're afraid that God is not good. We're afraid that we, he's not trustworthy, that we can't trust him. And for those of us in the room that are in that place, at some point, if we want our lives to be as they should be, connected to the Father God, walking in close relationship with him, at some point we have to let, we have to allow, we have to say, God, I, help me, I, I want to trust you, maybe I don't trust you, but I want to trust you this morning, help me, help me to let you in, help me to let you rule in my life, your shalom, your restoration, your completeness. As I was thinking about this idea for all of us of letting the peace of Christ rule, I prayed. I really sought the Lord on this. I was like, God, how do we do that? As we prepare for Christmas, as we prepare to celebrate Jesus, how do we, how do we let you rule peace in our lives? And I heard his still small voice, as I sometimes do, and he said, we need to see, we need to see, and we need to understand our own incompleteness apart from Jesus. We need to see, we need to understand our own incompleteness apart from Jesus. We need a revelation from the Holy Spirit. Last night I was here and I walked and touched every single chair in this room and I prayed for every one of you. And this morning I wanna lead us in a time of prayer and reflection and I want to let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit wants to do. From here on out, it's completely up to him. So will you bow your heads with me just to, just to close out any distractions? God, your word tells us that where two or more are gathered, you are here in the midst. We acknowledge you here with us, and we thank you. We thank you that as we move away from you, you move toward us. You move toward us. Jesus, you went out of perfect peace and came down into the chaos that we have created for us. And by doing that, Jesus, you gave us the privilege. It is a gift to us. It is a privilege to come into your presence. I ask this morning that you will reveal anything in us causing separation or division. We pray as King David did, search me, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. This morning, am I hiding in shame? Do I carry fear? Am I angry or jealous? 
Is there pride that I am blinded to? Am I not trusting in your goodness? Am I tempted to sin against you and justify it? Am I, am I holding on to that sin and that temptation and entertaining it? Am I grabbing for the blessing because I'm afraid you won't give it to me? Or because I want the blessing on my own terms? God, is there a lack of closeness between you and me? God, is there division and separation and conflict between me and another person? There's a quote that says, the enemy oppresses you with what obsesses you. The enemy oppresses you. He holds you down. He controls you. He robs you of that intimacy with your creator. He holds you down and oppresses you with what obsesses you. Did you walk in this morning with something just obsessing you that you just cannot quit thinking about or striving toward or trying to break free from or whatever or a relationship, that there's something, your job, the hours you're working, you're just, it's obsessing you. This morning, if you feel comfortable, I encourage you to open your hands and face your palms up toward our Creator God, our Savior Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And I just encourage you to allow that thing, anything that has been revealed by the Holy Spirit to you, you don't have to figure it all out. Just allow it to sit there in your hand and then offer it up. Exchange it for that perfect peace that only Jesus knows how to give, that is beyond our understanding. We can't figure it out. But offer it to him as an exchange. Exchange that obsession, exchange that addiction, exchange that fear, exchange that shame, exchange that sin, exchange it, give it to him, and ask him to rule your life with his shalom, with his restoration, with his bringing you, him doing it. He does it, we don't have to do it. It's his power that transforms us, it's him. By opening your hand to him, you are saying, I invite you to do the work that I cannot do. And as we do that, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you willingly suffered on a cross, that you willingly took the shame, that you willingly took the, the mockery, you willingly took the physical pain, the people leaving you and abandoning you in your moment of need. You took all of that so that we could receive the gift of your peace, so that we could be close in your presence always. Jesus, we thank you, and we pray this in your precious name. Amen.